Welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mick Spellmar again. And once again, we are embarking on a journey into the question, why horror? Where each week, myself and a different guest try and unpack this fun question. So before we jump into our discussion today, this week I'm joined by Melissa. So if you could just introduce yourself, kind of what it is that you do and kind of your connection to horror. Yeah, I'm Melissa and I... um... I write for uh, Ghouls magazine and also a bit for Moving Pictures Film Club. That's for horror things. Um, yeah, that's kind of my connection to like what I do in horror. But in terms of like watching horror, uh, I just yeah love love it of found footage short films and general spooky things <laughs> brilliant I love it and I just when you said like you know I also do writing for Google's magazine I feel like I'm a bit like Thanos collecting the, the infinity stones because I'm like have, I've had like so many Google's writers onto my show and I'm just like I'm gonna get them all yes, <laughs> oh. Thanos or Pokemon I'm not sure one or the other whichever's more wholesome <laughs> Brilliant, but thank you so much for saying yes to come on. I'm excited to have this discussion. But yeah, I like to kick each of these discussions off with this first question because every horror fan has an answer to it. And I just love hearing the different films that people tell me. So for yourself, what was the first horror film that you remember watching? And then slightly related, because sometimes these questions can be, or these answers can be different. What was the horror film that made you a fan of horror? This is probably a bit of a weird one, which is, and I'm going to go on a bit of a ramble, but like, I I didn't really get into horror through watching films, uh, mainly just because we didn't have a VCR for like ages. So it was, I kind of got into horror through um, like hearing like spooky stories in the playground and like sleepovers, which was like the most terrifying stories that children love because, you know, we're all weird and morbid in age. Um, but also I, I got, um, I also really have really vivid memories of just overhearing people talking about horror films. Like I remember exactly where I was when someone told, like mm. I overheard someone talking about the, um, in primary school, talking about the basin scene in the It miniseries. And uh, we all float down here. And I was like, and I was like terrified of Pennywise. And I'd only ever heard that. And I'd seen the cover in W. H. Smith. And I was like, well, this is the most terrifying thing ever. And I hadn't even seen the film. Um, and so sort of hearing little snippets, I remember being in like a, exactly where I was in McDonald's in Putney when someone told me about the scene in Silence of the Lambs when Hannibal Lecter takes someone's face off. So I was kind of like primed <laughs> before watching any horror films that it was like hyped up and really scary. Um, the first proper horror film I watched probably was Ghostbusters which I definitely count as a horror film and I think I think that was one of the ones where it was like a really rainy Mm. day at school and they wheeled the telly in and put on Ghostbusters and I really vividly remember the um it's like the New York cab and the ghost like goes up the exhaust pipe and someone gets in and then suddenly there's this like like a skeleton but like a really you know one of those like really half skeleton rotting that people as the driver and they're like I was like (laughs) 
that was you know it's full-on Ghostbusters was a full-on scary brilliant no I love that and I love what you said about how like your like your first kind of introduction to horror was through hearing about it and I think like that's one of the like the things I love about the horror community and people who are into horror is that like these like it's almost actually the talking about the films and like the discussions about the films that are almost more enriching sometimes in the films themselves as you get to have those snippets of conversations and you get to like the films like become part of the zeitgeist and they take on their own lives and stuff like that so I think that's I really and that was really interesting but stemming off from what you said there about how you know Ghostbusters is definitely a horror film like I this is something that I think a lot of horror fans like it's either that at one point in their life they have like clear just you know clear ideas of what they count as horror or not and then it changes as they morph as a horror fan or some people just have their rigid definitions their entire life so I want to know for yourself when it comes to watching horror films do you have like kind of clear lines as in like one side is horror the other isn't or is it more fluid and flux I'm very much as an I try to claim literally anything as being horror. I, like, I'll see, I'll see like an advert for orange juice and I'll be like somewhere in there, there's there's a horror film. So I, I'm very much like the broadest definition possible. If you feel like it's a horror film, it then it probably is. I think, I mean, breaking it down a bit more because it's I think it's impossible to define. Like everyone's got their own feelings mm. about it, but you know, I've I've read sort of articles and things where people try to like academically define mm. it and I read there was actually there's a series of articles which is quite funny where there's two academics who are having a massive Barney like <laughs> replying to each other in articles about what horror is like, it's funny. um but I think it's sort of I'd say it's either usually it's like content like you know in mm. a very obviously like if there's a vampire in it then you can say like okay yeah that's horror even though you know the tone might be like totally fun mm. you know yeah it or if there's but then you can have like if the tone you know if you can have something that's like set in a very realistic everyday setting like you can have a kind of kitchen sink thing Mm. with like no monsters no ghosts or anything but you can have a tone about it that makes it horror or you can have a kind of or like a horror sort of structure to it or there's I think there's sort of so many different things that can add to what a horror film is or can make it feel like a horror film but I don't think there's any sort of formula I don't think there's any hard set rules and I think everyone it's just if if you feel like it is then then sure it but yeah no I really like what you say there about how you know if you feel it's a horror it can be a horror because you know at the end of the day we all have our own subjective experiences that we're bringing to the horror films we're engaging with one of the things that I didn't actually it didn't like dawn on me until I started having these discussions but now I'm just like yeah that makes sense in my head but for me as a very polyamorous and non-monogamous person most rom-coms could be classified as horror films because they're very much about heteronormativity and monogamy. And that is like the opposite of what I um, find understandable. So it's just like, they're yeah. mostly horror films. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, the horror of marriage or something, you like, oh, yeah, that's not great Yeah, you can totally, you can see it in it. In anything, it's, I think it's so, that's one of the things I like about it. It's such like a flexible and fluid genre. I think, yeah, I was saying, I think the more, you know, the more boring conversations around horror are the like, is this a horror film or mm. is it a thriller film? And it's like, well, no one's, not everyone's <laughs> going to agree and people are just going to get 
you know, annoyed and it's not, and in the end, the answer isn't particularly interesting. It's like, it can be both. It's fine. It's like, there's no, you know. Exactly. And like, I can understand, you know, to an extent, like, you know, the merit of like, you know, wanting to have, I don't know, some form of like a tangible, you can say this is horror because like, you know, as we've seen with, you know, you mentioned at the start of the conversation, like films like Silence of the Lambs and stuff like that. These films that are like classified as psychological thrillers and stuff like that, because there are people who don't want to admit that they like horror films or they enjoyed Mm -hmm. one horror film. So I can understand wanting to have like to claim films as horror because they are horror so you can understand to a certain extent wanting to have some form of a broad definition that you can mm. say no this film falls under under this category but that's different to like trying to have like a rigid definition for every type of horror film because then it just gets really just boring and reductive and you miss yeah. out on the nuances of how fun like genre the genre can be when it plays with itself and stuff like that because mm. then you're yeah you're just, it's re- very limiting and stemming from that I want to know what you think about this one because like this is I think an attitude that you definitely see with certain horror fans and it's something that I just can't wrap my head around mm. but like you see a lot like people will say you know whatever insert film name wasn't a good film because it didn't scare me Um, I want to know what you think about that do you think like the horror film has to be scary to be considered quote-unquote good or effective no I am 100% on the other end of um most of the films that I the horror films I love don't don't scare me but I find Mm. them very interesting one way partly because I don't massively like being really scared which sounds really (laughs) weird as a horror fan but um you know, I don't, I like a bit of a thrill, but I don't like, there is, there are some sort of genres of film that really frighten me, and I, I'm not, you know, I don't think like that. But, you know, I think, especially for it to be good, it's, it, I think that's reducing horror down to just mm. being scary, and also, like, just the visceral effect on someone, when it's so much more than that. It's about, I think horror is more about exploring like the human just sort of sound a bit pretentious like the human condition <laughs> but like it's about what scares people not just like what scares like mm. you or the most people or something I mean there's nothing like there's totally nothing wrong with a kind of popcorn fright film just purely for like fun it's like that's great because entertainment is great but uh, yeah it definitely doesn't doesn't it you know, even if there's a horror film that doesn't hardly scares anyone at all, it's it can still be like an incredibly interesting piece. Or on the flip side, like I love horror comedy. I love ridiculous mm-hmm. ones that like, you know, aren't going to scare anybody. But that's not the idea behind them. And I think they still, again, there are probably quite a lot of people will be like, yeah, but that's not horror then. It's a comedy. But <laughs> it's like, no, it's a horror comedy. It's like, and the both, like the two genres are so closely interlinked that it's natural that they go together but yeah I'm totally um I'm 100% it doesn't have to be scary to be a horror and on the flip side one of the films that has scared me the most that I could go on about for a long time which is probably one of the reasons I got into horror is um E.T. terrified mm. me as a child I'm still quite scared like of the alien I've I think it's because like and that's not considered by many people to be a horror film but it's a horror film to me because it you know and it scared the daylights out of me um <laughs> But 
people wouldn't class it that way and it's not meant to be scary but it was so it kind of works both ways it's like you can have um you know you can have horror films that aren't scary you can have non-horror films that are terrifying and I think that's that's fine and like I said it's so subjective you can't you can't even begin to define what scary is exactly so it's, it's like why try 100 <laughs> percent. and uh I love how that what you said there about you know there can be like horror films or there can be films that aren't trying to be scary but are scary and I think that's such a good observation about like just engaging with you know films in general because that really kind of just blows that question out of the water because it comes back to everything is so subjective so there can be something that is very on paper objectively no intention to be a horror film there was no tone put in to make it horror or stuff like that but if it's depicting something that someone reacts to and it becomes terrifying like then how can you say it's not a horror and stuff like that so it makes it's yeah it's so hard to define it and Mm -hmm. I think people who try who have that very blinkers on attitude of oh it needs to be scary to be good it's just really reductive and limiting and it's just you're kind of like like you said reducing horror down to this one small facet of what horror Mm. is and you know if we think about like you know us as horror fans most horror fans really only watch horror very little other media so if you're thinking of those like big kind of popcorn horror films like the studio pictures like say you know the James Wan Conjuring movies or Insidious movies stuff like that you know these films are all like very much you know they follow certain beats and certain tones you can kind of tell when a jump scare will come up and stuff like that because you watch so much horror so therefore what's supposed to be scary might not scare you because you're kind of expecting it because you know when to expect it but if Mm. you take someone who doesn't watch horror and put them in the same cinema seat beside you they're going to be reacting because they don't watch horror so yeah I don't like it needs to scare me to be effective because you just don't get scared as often as you used to (laughs) well exactly I mean and there are some there are films you know that when I first watched them were like really you know really scary but because I love them so much I've watched them many Mm -hmm. times and now they're they're sort of like yeah almost um almost comfort films even though I was like well I remember the first time I watched this and I didn't (laughs) want to switch the lights off but now it's like oh I'll pop that on I love to to make me feel jolly (laughs) I love that and uh I love how like that's like something that so many horror fans can relate to like it's such an oxymoron of a statement oh my comfort horror film like anyone who isn't a horror fan will hear that statement and kind of be like I don't understand but it's so true and I think like it's a mix of like say the ones that do like really get under your skin and scare you it's like a mix of like re-watching it to see if like it's going to have the same effect or if you've kind of like it's going to be different or just because you enjoyed it so much so for yourself actually like what are your comfort horror films like if you've had a shit day or a shit week mm. which films do you turn to because you know you'll have a good time with them um yeah I think like the one I was thinking of just then uh is the first nightmare on Elm Street which is obviously like a great mm. film it did really scare me when I first watched it which was at uh when I was I think I was like 20 or 21 which is quite old and I'd I'd convinced myself that uh, I was okay to watch it on my own because I was an adult now. <laughs> I was not okay. Um, but it's now, yeah, I've watched it so many times. I think I find it, that one's quite comforting again, because partly because once you know the end of it and that Nancy, mm. you know, 
goes through all those trials but comes out and you know like yeah triumphantly like takes freddie's strength away from him and you know you you know all the beats of like you know yeah she's gonna come through and defeat it and that's the sort of there's a there's a slightly comforting end to it um for other ones um and i've just started listening to your podcast it was on the final destination film oh, thank I you. Love, <laughs> which are um yeah i love their sort of they're just on the right side i think of silly but also mm. still quite scary um i think personally i'm one of those people that gets gets quite anxious about the whole things of like oh what if there's a car crash or like oh god i've left mm. one on and the house is gonna burn down in like an inferno and i get quite i was like no oh, i've got to make sure of that so weirdly the final destination films are actually quite comforting for that <laughs> like <laughs> yeah you're sort of like reassured that almost you're like you're not that weird it's fine um <laughs> Or like, you know, the Death Hatter's Power. And I think they're quite unique ones as well. I really like them because it's, they're such a weird concept. Um, totally. And I, I kind of love the fact that it this really, yeah, it's quite bizarre concept became like a really successful franchise, which I think is having a bit of a, like a little bit of a renaissance of people like loving Final Destinations. Mm. Um, and again, it's got that slight slasher comfort thing in that it's a little bit like, not that there are some characters that you're a bit more invested in than others, <laughs> I would say, to put it to put it yeah. But definitely that... the slasher kind of DNA of mm. a lot of these characters, you know they're there to be disposable. Yes. It's like <laughs> I know as soon as you walked into the tanning salon, it wasn't going to go well for you. Oh yeah, like that yeah. that that film definitely was just like, yep. Yeah tanning beds or something I have no interest in ever because that is something that could happen like, yes. like just you know no everything that went on in that scene is so like it's like you know weird domino effect that you need all of those exact things to happen but nope doesn't matter tanning beds are off the list <laughs> never gonna go for them <laughs> but yeah and actually yeah just in general though like whether it's like I am noticing this that there are like and I think it's because of like we're in this now like we we are in this kind of golden age of horror like there's so many good horror films coming out from like so many different types of voices we've got like black creators queer creators women creators like so many different voices telling really interesting stories and I think because of that it's giving people like people are looking back on those early 2000s films like before this kind of horror renaissance started Mm. and they're looking looking at these films with this type of new lens like a new appreciation of like this even though I hate the term elevated horror but (laughs) like yeah and but yeah there's these films that like now what you know if we think of like you know like you said the Nightmare on Elm Street or films from the 80s and 70s and stuff like that a lot of them social messaging was very much kind of like subtextual mm. it was very much you kind of had to knew, know where to look whereas now a lot more films are very textual like what they're yeah. saying is there for like they're putting it there in your face and you can either deal with it or not and I think because of that people are going back to those films from the 2000s like the Saw franchise or the Final Destination franchise and they're kind of mm. looking at them now with like a fonder appreciation of like hmm these films that we all wrote off as being silly or dumb or just gory are actually saying things that we didn't give them credit for Mm. like you know even though like they are also silly and gory and dumb but like 
I want to know what you kind of like think about that when it comes to just how we like approach like the horror films and genre like do you think that we're always going to continue kind of like going forward and progressing and changing but meaning that we'll look back and see things in films from certain eras that we didn't see before yeah I think you always you always end up like looking back on films and seeing them through a different like just from a distance of time like you said with Mm. the ones from the early 2000s which were um you know I think I was definitely guilty of at that time being a bit of a a sort of sequel snob and being like oh if anything's a sequel it's gonna be terrible (laughs) um and now I'm like bigging up like paranormal activity five is one of my best (laughs) best films ever um so I've, I've sort of tried to get myself out of that mindset but yeah I think that it's always difficult when when it's films that are coming out you know in contemporary in the mm. time then of course they get like reviewed and assessed and everything but you always will get a different perspective coming back from yeah from like a decade or two in the future because it'll just get looked at through you know a new lens like you said you might see more like subtext or even like I said that doesn't even necessarily have to be things that the film itself or the film mm. like, you're trying to do it's like you know I'm very much a fan of if you if you want to interpret anything like a film or a piece of work you know in a way just because that's how you interpret it then that's like totally valid and you you know your own like yeah your own reading of the art and that's that's totally fine so I think you'll always like I think in 10-15 years time films that are coming out now are going to get reassessed um and it's just more exciting it's just new perspectives on it and it's it is nice seeing films that were written off to get a new fan base and new appreciation that's one of the things I like you know about some of the the sort of horror community is that there might be a film you never even thought about or never seen mm. and then someone will go like this is one of my favorites because of like all these different things and they've like looked so deeply into it and read into it and see so much nuance in it and you're like I never that thought never even crossed my mind mm. about this film and then you watch it with like a little bit of that other person's perspective and it just it's like it gives you a whole new appreciation for it which is great because it's you know it's sort of you know I think I like I like the idea of like feeding off other people's enthusiasm Mm, about the films that they love like there are films that I love that are just ridiculous but it's like you know people can like or not but it's like whenever anyone else is like really enthusiastic about something then you're like okay there must be something to it and I like you know, I like that that's getting more and more of a thing and it's like getting more and more popular that films get, yeah, get new perspectives on. I think it's like, that's a really, I think a sort of positive thing about um, that kind of reassessment. 100%. I love that. And actually that's two kind of, two questions spinning off from that that I'm just like, oh, I could go two different routes. Um, But like, uh, like just like, I love what you said that about, you know, someone else's enthusiasm is like an exciting thing because like I'm the same if like someone's like really into a film like it makes me more interested to kind of like possibly watch it or engage with it because I'm like you know especially if I know a person like if I know someone and like you know or know them relatively well enough and I'm just like oh they're really bigging up this film and I know them and I know their taste and mm-hmm. there's probably going to be something I'll take away from it as well and um, but like linking back to that kind of like attitude of people who say you know oh this film wasn't good because it wasn't scary I do think there is this really weird now it's mostly like an online thing but it's still really annoying that it exists but there is this type of attitude of like 
someone will go with you know say oh I really loved x film and you just know there's going to be some replies that will be like oh that film was shit you shouldn't like it and try (laughs) and tear down someone's joy or on the flip side someone will like you know say oh just caught new movie didn't work for me and someone's response will be oh maybe you didn't get it or something like that and like I find it really weird that people like think someone else's opinion or perspective on a film has said something about your own opinion and I'm just like no like and it doesn't like take away your experience of the film like I just think people should just let people have their own experiences like there can be interesting discussions in like you know say you know say one of the new movies that like seemed that came out recently this year was Ty West's X Mm. I personally loved it but I know a lot of people who didn't have like it it didn't speak to them to the way it did to me Mm. um but you can have interesting discussions and, oh, like, why didn't it work for you? Like, you can kind of, like, try and figure it out because out of curiosity rather than trying to convince someone to love it. And, yeah, I want to know what you think about that. Why do you think people, like, have this type of, like, you know, I don't know, like, fisticuffs attitude of, like, oh, your opinion is, like, t- tearing down my own? Yeah, it's hard to say. I'm not saying I, I agree with people to do that at all, but it's, like, I think everyone a little bit when you when you're really into a genre something it it feels like it's ridiculous it feels like a tiny bit personal when someone goes like when you loved a film or if sometimes if you like hate it or someone is like oh I hated that and you're just like oh that's better but like I'm you know very aware it's like I'm not gonna go online and be like well then you're stupid (laughs) because I'm like it is ridiculous it's like it's a kind of a ridiculous thing that we have but I think it's I think it's a slight part of like getting swept up in films and like loving them mm. is that you do feel and part of the reason you love them is that I think it will you know films that you really love will speak to you on a personal level and even though it's like yeah. it's a film it's not like your opinion of a film you should be able to just like completely not you know not feel personal if someone else doesn't like it mm. um I think there's always like that slight twinge of like, oh, you know, someone hated something that I felt really resonated with me. But I think it's everyone's responsibility to be like, okay, you can acknowledge that like <laughs> you're always going to have a little bit of a personal feeling, especially connections to films you love, but other people might not. And that's fine. And that there's no reason to actually start dragging each other down <laughs> about having different opinions. And it just happens. And it can be one of like a whole it can be something like so personal impersonal I mean that is Mm. like why people you know do or don't like films like personally I'm not I'm not a hugely like uh visual person and Mm. it's like I don't tend to like films that are like quite light on plot and very much about like the cinematography but like I can totally acknowledge that like there are a lot of films like that that um you know generally considered like masterpieces and mm-hmm. other people love them and I'm like I know why I don't like it because I'm just love a plot <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's just you know that's what I like that's my thing um yeah but you know someone else I, I can forgive a lot of other things if a film's got a great plot though it can have really shonky camera work bad acting and someone else might be like this film is trash look at the <laughs> terrible direction and all the bad blocking and terrible editing and I'll be like yeah but like it was a fun story so (laughs) so it's great and I love it um 
so I think there's things like that there are things that are just personal taste there are things that it's like you know what might resonate for one person like in a maybe a deeply personal way just someone else just might not have the experiences that would lead them to feel that way or you know might have different experiences that put them off it or something it's like again it's like the genre thing there's so many different Mm. things that go into why you like a film and I think it never comes down to this film is good or this film is bad 100% and I yeah yeah no and I look I think it's like like you said it's like you know everyone like sometimes people you know a film can resonate with someone on a very kind of like deeply personal level and stuff like that and I think that you know relates back to that I feel like in general across the board there are a lot of people who aren't aware of what they are bringing to a film like themselves their own perspectives like you know they're like not critically aware of the films they're watching in the sense that you know like so someone could be like oh this film was you know shit wasn't a good film but if that person in like so say take a certain subgenre like let's say go with vampire films Mm -hmm. if someone sees a new vampire horror movie and goes oh that movie was shit and you know that that person hates vampire as a subgenre, then it's like, well, you went into it knowing it was going to be something you wouldn't have a good time with it. So that doesn't mean the film was bad. It just isn't something for you in the same sense that, you know, someone who isn't queer is probably not going to have the same experience with a very on the, on the nose queer horror film because it's made for queer people. Mm. Like, you know, and yes, I you know, to a point, I think, you know, everyone's stories should be something that everyone can engage with. As in, like, you know, I can find movies like Get Out or Us that are very much movies about blackness in America and stuff like that. I can still find those movies fantastic and moving and I don't have those experiences. So that's not to say that a straight person can't find a queer horror film moving or etc. Mm-hmm. But... If someone is like comes comes away from a film like going, oh, that movie was shit, and you're just like, well, you're not exactly the target okay, demographic, yeah. so yeah. maybe be aware of where you're coming from. Yeah, and it's just interesting. I think whenever like whatever reaction, it's always interesting to look at. Like a lot of time, if I don't, if I've watched a film, I'm just like, oh, well, I just really didn't get on with that. It's always interesting to think about like why is that, and like mm. like what didn't you like about it, and sometimes I, you know a lot of the time I'm just like do you know what this just wasn't my cup of tea like yep just you know the thing I think you know a lot of time it's sort of like yeah maybe it was a kind of like it went into a bit of a subject I'm like eh, it's just not quite my thing a lot of the time though I do find there's you know it's happened a couple of times when I've watched a film being a bit like meh about it and then heard like like you said other people that I know and sort of respect have um like have really positive opinions of it and um you know that's often made me sort of think like all right so actually what or like listen to I was like okay well let's listen to like the why they liked it Mm. because it might just be something that I'd sort of missed or just not thought about or sometimes I can be like okay I get why you like it I still don't but that's like my (laughs) that's just my own preference but yeah it's all like I said there's so many different different aspects that bring to it like why why people feel the way they do and it can change as well like there's lots of films that I've changed my mind about um, or like you feel different on a second viewing sometimes or yeah it's all kinds of things 100% and I like what you said that about you know sometimes you might feel different on a second viewing or stuff like that because I think 
that that is something as well like film fans in general but I think particularly horror fans like if someone like has like say a bad you know didn't really enjoy a film on their first watch they write it off completely and I'm not saying that you know someone has to go back and rewatch a film because then that's going into that intellectual superiority superiority wanky stance of like maybe you didn't get it because like no some people can just not enjoy a film that's fine but at the same time I think it comes back to people just having to be aware of themselves when watching a film like if the first time you watch a new film or even like an existing film doesn't even have to be new but your first watch of a film if you've had like a shit day you're bringing that into your engagement with the film. Mm. So of course that's going to color your experience of it. So I think people just need to be more aware of themselves when they are engaging with films or shows, just art in general, because as we said at the outset, it's all subjective. Mm. So your own subjective self on that day will determine your takeaway from it so I think I just wish people were more aware of themselves when watching films <laughs> that's actually that's the thing that I've never really thought about of the like you know your opinion of a film being really colored by yeah just like how is your day being like are you you know how are you feeling at the moment you know are there like are there distractions or something and you know that's yeah it's totally true it's it's like your environment and like how you're feeling at the time because yeah, if you had a terrible day, it's just not setting you up for like, you know, having a great experience of anything, really. Yeah, one, well, and I think actually, like, I like that you mentioned um, distractions as well, because you know, I think that's a big pinpoint of how so many people are now actually engaging with films and shows. Is you know, given that so many things are now on streaming and at home watching, and Every person now, like that's at least an adult anyway, has a smartphone Mm. and that smartphone is going to be within their vicinity when they're watching shows and like, you know, people's like attention spans, everything is being affected. So someone could be literally scrolling on their phone and not engaging with everything that's on screen. So therefore their experience will be like, that film wasn't good well did you actually watch it or were you actually scrolling twitter like you know they're like you know did you watch me did you really watch me no oh and now i'm just like thinking like oh that's like almost like there's there's probably going to be some like black mirror dystopian episode where it's just like the films know if you're actually watching or not and it will be like (laughs) you know it will just be stop playing and the characters will talk to you hey we're playing now please engage with us I'm just like oh that could be horrifying but also humorous I don't know which and that comes back to horror and comedy are so linked to each other like I think with horror comedy as a subgenre for me it's so hard to get right because of how interlinked those genres are like for me the best horror comedies are if you stripped away all the comedy would it work as a horror film on its own and if Mm. it does then that's a perfect horror comedy like so take Shaun of the Dead like that's a great zombie film but it's also hilarious yeah and whereas other films that could slide into horror comedy if you removed the comedy and it doesn't work as a horror, then it's like, no, no, this is just a comedy film that's kind of like splattered with horror <laughs> imagery. Yeah, it's just sort of decorated with <laughs> yeah. blood a little bit. But yeah. And I think it sort of works like the flip side as well. If you took 
you know, with, with really good horror comedies. I think you can take either one, like you could mm. take the horror away yes. and it would still be a comedy. Like I think um, there's one I have a bit of a soft spot is the Tucker and Dale versus Evis. Yes. Which uh, is one of my favourite films. It's right. And it's like, yeah, it totally works as a, as a horror film you take away, but also it's just like a really, it's a sort of quite sweet buddy comedy mm. that you could take away all the stuff with like the college students and you'd be like, no, oh, this guy's just fixing up a cabinet. <laughs> so it's sweet. <laughs> exactly and like that's also like again going back to my the hated term of elevated horror but like Tucker and Dale is like a surprisingly very subversive film Mm. because like you know it's like depicting non-toxic masculinity and just being there you know friendship and all these different like kind of themes that you wouldn't necessarily associate with like horror comedy as a subgenre so I kind of like how it's doing all these things while also being hilarious and yeah. also having good like gore effects and stuff like that yeah and actually like some quite surprising stuff. yeah it's kind of it's both it's like subverting the genres and the kind of mm. like exploitation kind of yes. things but like you said it's also I think subverting your expectations of a horror comedy which has often been like you know, gross out, mm. sometimes like pretty misogynistic, like very like homophobic and all the sort of things. It's like, it's like, actually, this is a horror comedy that like isn't isn't doing isn't doing like the, the tropes of the horror film. It's also not doing the tropes of the horror comedy that you might think it is. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's one of the reasons I, I do. Yeah, it's a gem of a film. One of those ones that I recommend to everyone. It's just so good. Um, so, you know, going on like almost like a complete kind of 180 tangent from where we just went with horror comedy. But linking back to kind of what we were saying earlier about how everyone has their own like personal and subjective like experiences when engaging with film and stuff like that. Like, I think this is something that every horror fan has this own, like, internal debate when it comes to watching horror. Mm. So, like, I want to know for yourself, like, how do you feel about, like, censorship? Like, do you think that there are lines that you can't cross when it comes to what can be represented or portrayed on screen? Or are you more in the camp of art as art and everything should be permissible? I think in terms of, like, proper, like, hard censorship like this can't be released kind of things I think that I think I'm sort of feel like pretty much like pretty much any theme or content as long as it's being again it's a hard thing to you know police and we've seen that through the film industry but as long as Mm. especially with more extreme things as long as the people making it are comfortable and consenting to what's portrayed then I think you should be able to have like quite extreme subjects and quite extreme like in horror films like gore it's not it's not a genre I know a lot about but it's like Mm. I know there are people that I know who are really into it you know like um uh like Zoe from Ghouls is a big fan obviously and it's like that's one of the things I was like oh okay there's more to this than just sort of blood and guts it's a bit deeper than that I think I mean like most people I think the line would be drawn at like real Mm. cruelty or anything like stuff it's again it's the, one of the classic things of like the cannibal holocaust yeah. I, think. I have not watched it a lot of people haven't is the sort of the real animal cruelty mm. that's still in it um i think there might be a cut version perhaps but i was like that's not something that's something i want to see i think i don't think that would you wouldn't be allowed to make that nowadays which is a good thing uh in that way you wouldn't be able to have real animals being treated cruelly or you shouldn't be um 
yeah, in terms of content, I think it's it's up to again as long as things are portrayed honestly. And I think you know it's if if people are able to be aware that that's what they will be watching um and can make an informed choice about it Mm -hmm. i think there's there's room for like some fairly extreme things it's why you know people get again there's that's what i'm talking about in terms of censorship like actually you know not being able to release a film or having things cut Mm. like you know but there's also the sort of flip side of what a lot of people refer to as like in quotes censorship which Mm. is actually just criticism (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is like you can release something which is you know extreme or you know intended to be very shocking and intended to offend people you know you shouldn't be prevented from doing so by like the state or anything yeah. or by law but you will then have to accept that you will get you might get a lot of criticism for it you may not get you know i think a lot of the time people say things are censorship when it's actually people making choices to not promote it's like mm-hmm. you know you could make you could make like a horrible like a, a movie that you designed to be like as offensive as possible to multiple people and it's like you can make that film release it but then you may you have to not be surprised when a lot of people don't want to look at it <laughs> or have anything to do with it yes and just let it sink into obscurity essentially and I think a lot of people are kind of would describe you know a kind of I think disingenuously saying that that kind of thing is censorship mm. and it isn't that's people choosing to not want to engage with something yeah. that is that has been released in a non-censored way but yeah in terms of like hard censorship obviously there's been you know in the past there's been like you know ridiculous things like the Hayes code um mm. and all that mm-hmm. which I'm glad we're sort of moving have moved away from that and there's a lot more permissible but yeah that's something so i think it's there's room for a lot out there but people shouldn't be surprised if they make something that people just don't want to watch <laughs> and that's yeah 100 and i think that's actually like such a perfectly balanced and nuanced take on it and i really oh. really value that and um, because yes like i very much like think there should be no involvement by like a state body or a body of anyone that kind of says nobody should watch this because no you're making a decision on your own perspective as to what you think someone else should watch and that's just hogwash but I think we should have you know that's why you know the rating systems are good you know in the sense that like you know if someone says we're going to release this film but if you're below this age you might not be able to handle it or that's why I think across the board we should have proper like trigger warnings before Mm. films and shows like so before the film starts like blank black title card white lettering that says trigger warning this film contains these things and that way someone can make that decision Mm. to engage with it or not and so yes and but that's not censorship and I really like that point of this film will be released but if someone doesn't like it that's not censoring it that's just someone kind of going hey this is something that I don't think is great or whatever and I think that's like they're two different things though and I am seeing this and it's worrying me that this kind of exists but there is this type of attitude and like I think it comes down to this like lack of media literacy across the board but there is this type of attitude of someone saying because filmmaker put x content on screen 
they actually think that or this is actually representative of who they are and mm-hmm. it's like not necessarily you, you can't really say that oh this film contain like so say this horror film contains beheadings or something like that oh that means that that like, filmmaker yeah it's pro beheadings and <laughs> yeah. it's like uh um, no you yeah. need you need to kind of sit with that because that's not the case <laughs> yeah it's it's a different it's like a bit of a nuanced thing because yeah you can portray like people doing horrible things like horrible people yeah doing horrible things even like horrible people doing horrible things who are quite compelling but it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that the film itself is endorsing that yes, behavior yeah. um although it's again it's a bit tricky because it's it's a difficult, you know, like making any art, making films, it's, mm. it's really hard. And it's a hard, you know, it's a hard thing to pull off. Yeah. Um, and I think some, there are probably some films, I can't sort of think of it, that have probably, the intent is to do that sort of like, you know, I'm portraying mm. this behaviour, but I'm not endorsing it. But sometimes it just hasn't quite clicked in that way. Like it sometimes mm. it doesn't quite work and it doesn't quite come off how maybe the filmmaker wanted it to and it sort of and sometimes you can be like I'm not quite sure where this film stands on this it's a Mm. tricky sort of thing like and then some people interpret things in a bizarre way like you know I've like one of my favorite films is American Psycho and I I love I I feel it's very very clear that you know Mary Harron and uh uh, co-writer are like that Patrick Bateman is is ridiculous no one's thinking he's (laughs) cool like you know mm. that is you know is just completely ridiculed and um is is never seen as like the hero of the story and I, I was like are there some people out there that like think he's the hero of this or like or there are people who are like this is a terrible film this is endorsed you know mm. betraying all these like disgusting murders and I'm like okay but I was like I think that's an example where it's it's pretty clear the film's not on the film and the filmmakers are not on board with this yeah oh yeah it's it's exactly but But that's actually such a good point I love how you mentioned that I was like you know some people are like how you're like wait how can there be people that think that this person is good because I would have thought that until literally as like you know in the last like number of weeks like on Twitter like and not not specifically like I don't think it's well it could be classified as horror I guess but the boys tv series on Amazon Prime Mm. there are people who actually think the character of Homelander is like the hero and he's like a fascist Nazi and like the creators of the show have had to come out and say no no he's like the bad guy if you can't get that then that's really worrying and it comes back to I think there is this weird like and like you were saying as well that like you know sometimes someone will have that takeaway from a film of like sometimes it wasn't you know it might not have worked exactly the way the filmmaker wanted it to and I think this relates back to maybe attention spans and everything is kind of all related but there is this like also type of attitude of someone will be like if the film doesn't like explain something explicitly via dialogue then therefore there it was like a plot failing or therefore the film doesn't work and it's like no like that we don't need everything to be spelled out to us for it to work as a film like you need to actually engage with it like Mm. there is this type of like 
wanting everything to be explicitly stated as if it's not, then either the filmmaker is endorsing it or like, and it's just all very worrying to me. (laughs) Yeah, especially the, yeah, people, like I kind of love the looking really deeply into things and like, I like sort of fan theories when they're, you know, coming from a place of like excitement about a film. And I agree, like there was a tendency to want things spelled out um I think a nice a, a thing that I've seen recently I think especially with with um Jordan Peele's films especially with like mm. you know, coming out recently I'm not going to do any spoilers because it is still quite recent but um in like in all his films I think they are they're films that you know you can look into the detail and like have theories about um and I think lots of people you know like with us as well we've been like what exactly does this mean like what exactly are you know mm. the, what does the who exactly are the tethered how exactly does it work and I like the fact I'm pretty sure he's always sort of been like resistant to over explaining yeah but in a very nice way it's been like if people have their own ideas about it then that's great like have your own ideas and that's just you know mm-hmm. I think he's, from what I've seen in his interviews he's been like you know make up have your own narrative of what you think yeah. it is and that's great like you know interpret it how you want because it can be interpreted different ways and they're all valid in those kind of things and mm. like because it's not you know totally then there's lots of things like that where it's like it's not totally explicit but that gives you the room mm-hmm. to imagine it in a way that you're like maybe it's this and make someone else is like oh maybe it's this and that's that's part of the fun thing it doesn't really need to be spelled out you know exactly and I think that comes back to what you were saying earlier about like you know once the filmmaker makes it and puts it out there then everyone has their own reading of it and those readings stand on their own like um you know I do think sometimes a filmmaker can have their intention like you said but sometimes it doesn't work and you know so like I don't like to say that one is more accurate than the other that once the film is out in the world everyone's reading is like the correct reading it doesn't matter what the filmmaker wanted Mm -hmm. I think they kind of exist in tandem that like the filmmaker has their intention their vision sometimes that gets picked up and then they like you know they in sync and it's really beautiful sometimes the Mm -hmm. intention is there but it doesn't get picked up and then there's another reading of it that can be equally interesting so Mm -hmm. I think they just exist at the same time neither is more accurate than the other I think it's like it's a dialogue really it's yes. not like a one-way street and I think I can't remember exactly what it was and only but there was definitely someone recently who like a director who had I think you know a, a theory put to them they're like people have been saying that like you know this thing in your films is this and they were like I never intended that but like great love it <laughs> <laughs> they were like yep that works for me like that it was never in my mind but like yeah it's totally you can you can say that's that and it's fine so it's so, you know it that's what kind of in a pleasant way it wasn't that like they're yeah they failed it they were just like oh you know it never occurred to me that could be it but like fantastic it's like adding another layer to the work which is nice brilliant and actually that's actually reminds me as well of like uh Don Mancini the creator of like Chucky World and like the Chucky franchise because like you know I just love how this franchise has become like one of the queerest like horror franchises it's just 
brilliant yeah. but like Don Mancini himself has said you know because he was originally just the writer on the first Child's Play films and didn't come on as director until Bride of Chucky mm. but uh you know he was saying when he was originally writing it like he didn't intend to kind of make it a queer story but he's also like a gay man so it kind of that just yeah. kind of like subconsciously kind of just breathes into the story and then when he came on as director and people are like hey these are queer films he ran with it and was like no that actually works that's cool yes I'm gonna (laughs) like I'm gonna double down on that and just make objectively so rather than say no 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 your reading is wrong this is not a queer film so yeah I think it's like you said it's a dialogue and it can make things really interesting yeah I think that's exactly um what you were saying before about something being subtext going mm. back in the 80s and has now become like textual and that's like that's quite satisfying to see with a, a creator on the same franchise yeah I love the Chucky franchise yeah so. and yeah and it's like also it just shows if you allow one person to ha- re- retain creative control of a property you'll get a consistent franchise because it's been consistent throughout like it's just oh I love the Chucky franchise and I'm very excited for Chucky season two um so speaking of excitement and stuff like that as a last closing off question before I let you go like how are you feeling about the future of horror are you excited for where horror is gonna go like what are your feelings and thoughts I yeah I feel generally like I feel very excited about the future of horror like you said it feels like we're in a bit of a we've been in a bit of a golden age since like at least the mid like 2010s Mm. um like I said I think it's really exciting that we're starting to see more diverse filmmakers um like and there's yeah there's just like a kind of I think a real buzz about horror um you know which is I think even apart from like it might have been sort of was it maybe like 10 years ago with like mm. there would be big mainstream buzz about like a conjuring film or like insidious or something yeah and i feel like there's there's some quite mainstream buzz about films that wouldn't have had that kind of breakthrough before mm. which is great um and again i'm all up for as many people i know there are some people that feel a bit like oh i don't want mainstream people to watch horror. i'm like no get everyone watching horror <laughs> you know then more people get to make horror films um yeah, yeah, I feel like very optimistic. There's so many people like, you know, away from like big feature films, there's so many people making exciting like short films. Um, there's so many like, uh, there's so many like indie presses putting out like really great short story collections and things. Um, yeah, there's so much going on. So I feel very, very excited and optimistic, I think. Brilliant. Well, what a lovely note to close things off on. So before I let you go there, where can people find you and support your work? So, um, yeah, the best place to find me is probably on Twitter, which is at Chloe Oriel. Um, and I've got all the links there to all my stuff. So like I said, right for the schools and moving pictures. And I've got my own sort of sporadic blog about short fiction called Short and Sour, which I will update one day. <laughs> but yeah, I watch like just, yeah, just watch random stuff on YouTube and post it really. <laughs> post my friend. Brilliant. Well, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on to chat all things horror with me. And to my guests, keep your eyes and ears peeled for future drops in my Why Horror series.